Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cocktails and Killers. I'm Heather. I'm Lena. And today we're going to talk about serial killer Israel Keys. I'm excited for this one. I mean, I really don't know much about him other than the few small details you've told me. So I'm going to be learning along with everyone else. So I'm excited. He was fucking crazy. <laughs> That goes without saying, right? Oh, or I mean, he worse? You, you, you just wait. an article that said like he is probably the most prolific serial killer that you've never heard of really mm-hmm. well he, i mean i definitely hadn't heard of him so he he's a piece of work okay well i'm excited part of what he did was he would travel to different locations and he he had no real mo he would just select his victims by opportunity just whoever came along at the right moment really he didn't care if they were male female didn't matter hmm so he didn't really have a victim type and he would rob banks and burglarize homes to pay for his travels to do his killing so he was he was traveling for the purpose of killing just to kill yeah oh my gosh yeah so he was originally born in richmond utah january the 7th 1978 He's the second of ten children. Oh, wow. Was his family, were they Mormon by any chance? They actually, yeah. Okay. His parents were um, Heidi and John Jeffrey Keyes. They didn't believe in government interference. They didn't believe in public schools. They Mm -hmm. didn't believe in modern medicine. Oh. Mm. So they were kind of extremists, even. Yeah. Um, He was real small when the family left Utah and they moved to a town called Colville in Washington State. And while they were there, Israel's parents left the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and started attending this church called the Ark, which was a Christian identity church, and it's widely known for racist and anti-Semitic views. Oh, great. One extreme to another Right? Yeah. Wow. So as a kid, Israel would always walk around with a gun. He always had a pistol with him. As a kid? As a kid. And when he was 14 years old, his grandfather gave him a 38 revolver. It's a nice gun, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And he actually made his own homemade silencer for this gun. What? At 14? Yeah. <laughs> he um had a friend that he would go and break into houses with. And would burglarize them. And he started to kill animals around this time. Oh. So, you know, he's showing some signs. Yeah. Between 1995 and 1997, when he was a little older, he started working uh, in a seven-man crew uh, on a construction company. And he would do, you know, work for customers Mm -hmm. beyond construction if they needed it. 
During the late 1990s, the whole family um, relocated again to um, a town in Oregon called Malpin. After that, moved all the way across the country and started living close to an Amish community in Maine. What? What are they, just like church hoppers? Or, I mean... (laughs) I don't think they, like, became Amish at that point, but they were just, you know near the Amish community somewhere in Maine. And they actually got into the maple syrup business out there. (laughs) That's really random. I know. So sometime between 1996 and 1998, Israel actually committed his first crime. So he would be, what, about 20 at this age? Yeah, because he was born in 78. So he would be somewhere between probably 18 18, and 20. 20. Okay. He abducted a teenage girl from a hiking group uh, in Oregon, and he raped her, but he released her afterwards. He let her go. He Hmm. told um, the FBI in an interview that he had separated her from her friends, and then he raped her, but he didn't kill her. He he said that he he planned to, but she had, I guess, kind of talked him out of killing her, so he let her go. Mm Mm-hmm. When the uh, family was living in Maine, he came out and rejected the parents' faith. He declared himself as an atheist, which got him kicked out of the house. You know, he had a big falling out with his family. So oh, I can imagine they weren't too fond of hearing that. Yeah, he, you know, renounced God and everything. So in 1998, he actually uh, went to New Jersey and he enlisted in the army. Really? Yeah. He was a uh, specialist in the Alpha Company 1st Battalion 5th Infantry. He um, was stationed uh, near Tacoma in uh, Fort Lewis. Mm-hmm. And he also did uh, was stationed for a time in Fort Hood in Texas. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that one before. And he did training in Egypt. Really? Mm-hmm. And while he was in the service... He actually received an Army Achievement Medal for merit to service while assigned as a gunner and assistant gunner from the 2nd of December 1998 to the 8th of July 2001 in the Alpha Company 60mm Mortar Section. Mm. That's a big long. That is a very long medal title achievement. There, yeah. yeah. So he was shooting guns, right? Yeah. Is that basically? I think so. A gunner? That, would yeah. Be someone on a tank or something probably. maybe that use the guns mm-hmm. well obviously he probably Which, really liked that exactly i mean if he I grew mean, up with he a pistol had, yeah in may of 2001 he um actually got a dui charge in washington in thurston county he ended up getting a state charge on top of that of uh driving with a suspended license oh now i think he was still in the service at this point uh yeah he was still in the service at that point Later that year, he actually got an honorable discharge from the Army. Really? Yeah. Oh, now, what does that mean that he asked to be discharged? Or I don't, I think it's like once you do your time. Oh, okay. You either you get an honorable, honorable discharge or right. dishonorable if you've done something. To, right. Or you agree to do more years or yeah. something. Okay. Or you can sign on to yeah. do more. So, he actually had told authorities that he took advantage of the discharge to murder his first victims, which he has never identified. 
He had never told who it was? Mm-mm. Still? Mm-mm. Wow. No. Supposedly. I mean, and, you know, I think the FBI suspects he had 11 victims total, right. but there's only three confirmed. Well, and who knows if there could be even more of them then, you know? Yep. If he's, if he's one that doesn't want to tell, mm-hmm. there could be a lot more. Yeah. And once he left the service, he actually moved to this little town called Nia Bay, which is in Washington State. And he uh, established a village market for the Maka tribe in the area. So what, he set up a little, like a grocery store like a, or something? a little, like, village market for the end. Really? Mm-hmm. He also started dating a woman there that he actually had a daughter with. So he has a child out yeah, there somewhere. Yeah, he has a little girl. Mm. Uh, November of 2002, his father died, and he did go to the funeral. And after that, he actually ended up separating from his girlfriend. She took their daughter with her. Around this time, for whatever reason, he started taking part in a lot of marathons. Running so, marathons? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. I I don't know if this was a way maybe for him to find more victims. Maybe. Keep in shape so he can get victim. Yeah. Who knows with because a mind like that. Around this time, he said he claimed two more victims when he was doing all of this. But again, unidentified. Right. We don't know. Hmm. Uh, in 2007, he actually moved to Alaska, and he started a construction business called Keys Construction, and he uh, was a contractor. Once he moved and, you know, established kind of Alaska right. Anchorage as his base, he started taking all these trips all around the United States, just here, there, wherever, um, and he would commit murders. Do we know anything about his social life? Did he have any friends? Like, I don't really was know. Was he a he social had, person? I don't think he was super social. When he was a kid, I read a quote that when he was a kid, he would get into trouble for doing a lot of things. Uh-huh. And he kind of became a loner. Oh, okay. So that he wouldn't get caught and he wouldn't get in trouble for the things he did. Oh, I see. When his parents found out about stuff, they would, you know, let the parents of his friends know mm. that, you know, the kid, that his friends were involved. And yeah. so he just kind of started venturing out on his own. Just so saying, he, fuck it. I don't need friends. Yeah. Just going to get me in more trouble. Exactly. <laughs> he would travel and look for victims and he would bury kill kits in different parts of the country. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Mm-mm. So whenever he decided he wanted to kill and he had a kill kit buried, he would just go dig up that kit, go kill somebody, dispose of everything, and back to Alaska he went. That's insane. He was extremely meticulous. Really? In his planning of how he committed his murders. So he just haphazardly... Travels across the U.S., but he's very meticulous in his murders. Yeah. So, obviously, he's a little OCD. He he was super meticulous in how he, you know, planned everything out. Uh, He he told the FBI that, you know, he he financed his trips Mm -hmm. with the money he got from robbing banks, you know, burglarizing houses and things like that. And actually, you know, investigators... 
They're still trying to figure out how many bank robberies that he could have been how responsible for. How did he never for. get caught for any of those crimes? He was disguised. Oh, really? Yeah. So he wore a disguise. Yeah, I mean, and it was probably different every time. I know um, one of them that he committed in Texas, he had on like a hard hat and sunglasses. I've seen the picture from the surveillance video. Yeah. There was no way you could really tell who he was. Who it was. Mm-hmm. So in 2009, he... After he made all these trips to California, to Washington, to New England, he decided to fund all of this. He was going to rob a bank. Mm -hmm. And April 10th of that year, he supposedly abducted and murdered a man. Again, unidentified. He um, supposedly walked into the community bank in Tupper Lake, New York. And had sunglasses, a jacket, jeans, gray sneakers, two-toned gloves, a fake mustache, and a goatee. And he was armed with a 40 caliber Smith & Wesson and a 22 caliber Ruger. Damn. He successfully robbed the bank. And then he buried a murder kit about a half mile down a path in... Um, a place called the Woodside Natural Area in Essex, Vermont. So he robbed the bank in New York, drove to, drove Vermont, to Vermont, buried a kill kit, and then he put the gun and both guns uh-huh. into the kill kit. And then four days later, he flew home. What? I wonder how he's picking these little towns. You think he's just like driving along? Was like, oh, this looks good. I think so. That's fucking insane. I know. <laughs> So, for the following two years after that, he was repeatedly traveling all around the country. Um, I wonder how if he's still trying to run a business at yeah, this point. How, yeah. how can he do that when he's gone all the time? I mean, I don't know. That's, man, he's a, an odd one. Yeah. He was traveling all over the country for unknown, undisclosed reasons. Right. And between the time period, well, it was in 2011... He constructed a homemade silencer for a Ruger. Oh. And he already built one when he was a kid. So yeah, he exactly. knew what he was doing, I guess. So he, he built this one out and he decides, I'm going to test this one out the next time I go to kill somebody. He flew to Chicago. And mind you, this is 2011. He buried that kill kit in 2009. Right. In so, Vermont. In Vermont. So in 2011, flies into Chicago. He rents a car. And then he drives over to New York. And drove to Vermont, where he dug up his kill kit. People can't even remember where they leave their keys, and this <laughs> asshole remembers where he is where burying he... <laughs> shit out in the woods and going back and finding years it later? two years later. Wow. Yeah. So he decided that he was just going to randomly target and murder somebody before going on and robbing banks and committing arson. Jesus. <laughs> he selected a location. To take the victim, he found an abandoned farmhouse in Essex, Vermont. Uh-huh. And he decided, you know, I'm just going to go pick somebody at random, and this is where I'm going to bring them to kill them. So he, he got his weapons together. He started um, hiding out in the woods looking for a potential victim. I guess he was watching people. Right, stalking, trying to see. Yeah. Initially, he targeted a person driving uh, a beetle. And then he decided that was too impractical to try and get, you know, like the motorist. (laughs) And he changed uh, his focus over to a couple. 
he started wandering around suburban neighborhoods in the area. And really late at night, he decided on this house on Colbert Street. And the couple that lived there were the names Bill and Lorraine Courier. Mm-hmm. This house was actually about half a mile away from where he had a hotel. Oh. So it was fairly, you know, close. close it yeah. was within walking distance. He came to their house a little after midnight. Mm-hmm. Is uh, this an older couple? Do we know their age? Yes, they were 50. Okay. Bill was 50 and Lorraine was So they were down. I was going to ask if they he, were asleep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And he knew that the house wouldn't, like, he refused to go after children. And he knew, like, he could, he figured that this house wouldn't have children. Huh. And a little after midnight, he walked from his hotel to this house. He cut their phone line. Hmm. He broke into the garage. Then he made his way into the kitchen. And he called it a blitz attack that he made on this couple. I'm sure that was something he learned from the army. Oh. His army days. No doubt. He went to their bedroom where he found them asleep. They woke up and they see this man standing at, you know, the foot of their bed. Mm -hmm. He's all in black and he's got a headlamp on so he can see. Like a coal miner? Like one of those little, you know. (laughs) Those little headlamps. And he had a gun. He tied them up with zip ties. He asked them all these questions about their home. Like, you know, do you have a safe? Um, Where their ATM cards were? If they had weapons in the house? Israel ended up taking the handgun that Lorraine had in the house that Mm -hmm. she used for protection. He also took their cell phones. Then he forced them to get into their own vehicle. And he drove them to that abandoned house in Essex, the farmhouse that he had scouted earlier. So once he got them in there, into the house, he tied Bill up in the basement and he left Lorraine behind in the car. Which what? was, yeah. I mean, she had, she was zip tied. Oh, but I was about to say, why did this bitch take off driving? <laughs> she was zip tied, but he left her in the car. Now, when he came back out to get her, she had gotten out of the front seat. She was trying to run to the main road. Yeah. Which, you know, she's 55. He's like, 20 something and fucking runs marathons marathons i mean he's in great shape he was in the army bless her heart she didn't stand a chance no he he made a run for her he tackled her he dragged her into the house he put her in a bedroom he tied her arms and her legs to the bed so her husband bill starts to shout out you know he's shouting where's my wife where's my wife and israel went down to check on him he Seen that Bill had broken the ch- part of the chair that he was in mm-hmm. and was starting to work his way free. Oh. Israel told investigators during his confession, you know, he said that really pissed him off. He said, because there's a very specific way that I want things done. And I have the whole thing planned out. I have everything I need to do it. He said after he seen, you know, that Bill had kind of screwed up his plans and was, you know, probably real pissed working his way free, he said he lost control and he struck him with a shovel over and over and over. And then he took his gun out and shot him multiple times. Because he wanted to shoot him with his new silencer, right? Originally? I don't know if that was actually his intention. Oh. I don't know exactly what he had planned out. So he ends up beating him to death with a shovel. He beat him and then he shot him. And then shot him. Mm -hmm. 
he um, went back to the bedroom. He cut all of Lorraine's clothes off with a knife. He raped her twice. And during the assault on her, he, he strangled her almost to the point of loss of consciousness. Right. And then he brought her down to the basement to see her husband's dead Shut body. Shut up. And he sat her down and he strangled her from behind with a rope and killed her. What a fuckwad. Oh, yeah. It's suspected that he was partly pissed off at Bill for altering his plans because they think he wanted to rape Bill, too. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Did he have any other bisexual tendencies in his past that ever came out? Not that I know of. Mm. I didn't find anything. That's really... Which, you know, a lot of his supposed crimes are still unknown. Right, so who knows? Yeah. So the sun was starting to come up at this point, And people were starting to come out, be on their way to work. Yeah. So he decided that, you know, well, he, his original plan was he was going to burn the house down and leave the bodies in there. Oh. But with the sun coming up, it was a little too late for all of yeah. that. He was like, well, you know, that's not really an issue, I guess. You know, if anybody actually ever bought this house, that, you know, they would probably do it more for the property and they would probably end up tearing the house down anyway. So, it's, you know, it's not a big deal. <laughs> sure, I'll just leave. I mean, just yeah. whatever. And he was like, you know, this smell from the basement would probably be so horrible that, you know, it would keep all the curious people away. You know, if, like, kid, teenagers or something right. wanted to go into a house and hang out and they whatever. They smell something, they might not go and in. And then they won't go in. He was like, meh, I'm not really worried about anybody finding the bodies. So, he grabbed all of his stuff. He took their car and then he drove it to a Rite Aid parking lot, which was where he had a rental car parked. Oh. So, he left their car there. He covered his head with a hoodie and got into his car and left the state. He drove to Maine and left the bodies what in the, the basement. Fuck? He he put them in tr he put them in bags and shoved them under some rubble that was in the basement and just left them there. Oh my god. Then he drove up to Maine uh on his trip back home. He went to the White National Monument Forest in New Hampshire. And that's where he disposed of the stuff he took from the couriers. Oh, like I their was cell phones and all of, that. all of that. Yeah, their personal effects. That's where he he put them in a suitcase and he set them on fire. And then his tools that he used, along with the courier's gun, he left those in New York. So he's just got like shit scattered all over all the over. the northeast. Yeah. And the FBI actually never found the courier's remains. What? Mm. The house ended up being torn down and the bodies were excavated and dumped in a landfill somewhere. So he got super lucky there. They, and they've never found the bodies. Wow. Yeah. But they, they, these were two people that legitimately existed and that did go missing. Yeah. So we know for sure he did it. Yeah. He just got away with it. Yeah. Wow. That's super fucked up. Like, he was arrested for a different crime and actually ended up confessing, confessing. to this one. Mm -hmm. I wonder why he would confess to that one and tell who they were, but not these other people that he supposedly killed. He's 
fucking crazy. Well, like like he, he's just fucking crazy. He so was, who knows? He, I think he enjoyed playing games. Yeah. With the FBI and with the authorities. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of what he was doing with them. He was playing like a cat and mouse game right. with them once he was caught. He planned his murders out way ahead of time. Now, so I was like, he took every action yeah. that he could to avoid being caught. Which is why he was so mad when Bill fucked up his plan. Exactly. And, you know, like I had said earlier, there was no victim profile. The only, the one thing that remained constant was that he would kill far away from home. Mm-hmm. And he would never go and kill in the same area twice. Mm. So he would, you know, after he killed the couriers in Vermont, he wouldn't go he back wouldn't there. He wouldn't go back there. To kill again. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of... As fucked up as it is, that's kind of genius. Yeah. You know. Well, and I well, I'll get to that later, but there was um a person who studies serial killers. They said that he was like one of the most intelligent yeah, ones that. that he's ever studied. While he was gone on these trips, he would turn off his cell phone and he paid for everything with cash. Oh, see, so, smart. See, he never used credit cards. Right. You couldn't track his phone. Yeah. The He's only no way dummy. that you would know that he had traveled somewhere was, pro- you know, airline tickets. A plane ticket, mm-hmm. yeah. Rental car, things like that. Yeah. But he never had any connection to any of his victims. So, of course, again. Right. Well, and if he's in a town that nobody knows, even if someone saw him, they wouldn't know who the fuck he was. Exactly. So, even if his face was everywhere in that town. Yep. He would study FBI profilers. Really? And he would learn... About different serial killers. Um, he admired Ted Bundy. Oh, I was going to ask if he had looked up to any oh, yeah. serial killers. Yeah. And they were similar in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. They both drank heavily. They were both very methodical in how they, you know, killed. They were intelligent. Right. They felt a possession over their victims. Mm. Like, the, their victims were possession mm-hmm. to them. Bundy also killed all over the country, right, but yeah. his was because that was where he was living at the time. Yeah. He wasn't just, like, traveling halfway across the U.S. just to go murder right, somebody. Right, right. And, you know, Israel did it to avoid detection. Mm-hmm. Smart son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Bundy only went after, you know, young women, attractive yes. women, and Israel didn't care. Hmm. It, it was just convenience. Yeah. Whoever was there, right, right, you know. At the time, yeah. when he decided he was going to do it. He told investigators that, you know, his normal routine was to just fly somewhere in the country. He would rent a vehicle, and then sometimes he would drive hundreds of miles before he would decide on a place to find a victim. And he would bury those murder kits. And in those kits, he would put things like shovels, plastic bags, money, weapons, ammo. Jesus. He would also include bottles of Drano, which I did not know. But apparently, Drano helps speed up the decomposition process of a body. Really? Yeah. Hmm. So, he would keep Drano. Note to self. (laughs) (laughs) The more you know. Right? I didn't know that either. And they have found some of his murder kits in Alaska and New York. He admitted to having more. In, like, Washington State and Texas, Wyoming, probably even Arizona. Wow. But they haven't found them. He was really all over. Mm-hmm. And he would look for his victims in parks, 
uh, hiking trails, places that were a little more remote kind of usually. Kind mm-hmm. on that too. If he was to target a house like the Couriers, mm-hmm. he would look for an attached garage. Oh, so he could get in. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't want them to have pets or children, especially yeah. dogs, because, you know, they bark. He didn't want there to be a car in the driveway itself. Mm. And then once he would commit the murder, he would immediately leave the area. I'm, I told you, he's very meticulous. So smart. Like, in the way, I mean, the lengths that he went to to right. not get caught. That makes it that much, like, creepier and, like, yeah. fucked up. And he actually traveled out of the country a few times. He went to, like, Canada and Mexico and Belize. And it's possible he had victims there, right, but I we don't know. And there's a book I'm actually in the process of reading. Uh, Maureen Callahan. It's uh-huh. called American Predator. And it's actually pretty good so far. It's about him. Oh. And she wrote in her book that he had been fitted with a gastric band. What? Yeah. And... He had gone to a plastic surgery office in Mexico. Oh, was he going to get some, like, face work done, you think? Well, the lap band would have ensured that he wasn't hungry as often. I think he did this to become a better serial killer. What? And it's, she speculates that he may have altered his fingerprints and he could have, like, removed body hair, you know. Yeah. Maybe laser hair removal or something. I mean, if you're going to go have your fucking stomach stapled, there's pretty much no lengths that you will go to to continue killing. So, And, you know, she thinks that maybe he he had that body hair removed and stuff as an extra step not to leave any physical evidence behind. Yeah. Hmm. In February of 2012, he fucked up and he made two mistakes. He actually went against his own rules. Uh Uh-oh. First rule he broke was he kidnapped and killed somebody in his own hometown of Anchorage. Israel, buddy, you uh, said you gotta follow the rules. Yeah. And after that, his rental car that he had was caught on video, or on, it was photographed by ATM cameras when he was using that victim's debit card. How can he be so smart to do all these other things, but then he's gonna go and do that? I know. It's, it's, that's one thing that has always kind of, in a sense, fascinated me about some of these killers when they get caught. It's so strange. That's so dumb. It's like you, you went for so many years. Right. And anytime you got the urge to kill, you would travel somewhere. And this time, what was so different? Right. That you just, you couldn't wait. You had to do it. I wonder if something happened around that time that just, like, triggered him. And he just, if that one wasn't maybe planned or something. And he was just, like, went off the deep end. Well, and he planned to abduct somebody from this little coffee stand in advance. I don't know why he would. It just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, it was like the whole thing with, you know, kind of how Ted got caught. Mm Mm-hmm. You were home free in Florida, and you decide to go in a sorority house and fuck shit up. Yeah. And kill two people, and then go down the street and kill another, attempt to kill another woman. And then you go and kill a little girl. Anyway, February 1st was when he abducted a girl from the coffee grounds, Mm -hmm. little coffee stand. He considered other coffee stands in the area, but he picked this one. 
because of its location and it actually stayed open later than other coffee shops in the area. Well, he really did his research, didn't he? He did. He had never seen this girl who worked there before. Her name was Samantha Koning. He approached the coffee stand right before it closed. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole surveillance video on YouTube that I watched um, from inside the little coffee stand. Yeah. So he approached it. He had a ski mask on. I mean, I guess it's February in Alaska. A ski mask that wouldn't might be, be yeah. too far out of the right. ordinary. <laughs> That's when true. I first read that, I was like, a ski mask wouldn't kind of like set off your spidey right. senses. But Alaska in uh, February. I'll allow it. Possibly. <laughs> he ordered a coffee and she was making the coffee and they were talking. And you can see in the video that, you know, she's making his coffee and... They're having a conversation, and then in the video, you can kind of watch her step back, and she throws her hands up. So, at this point, you know, he's most likely pulled out a gun. Yeah. So, he starts demanding money, and she complied and, you know, was getting the money together. Mm-hmm. And I think around this time, you know, there's it's close to closing time. It's later than the other shops stay open, so there's probably not as many people around. Yeah. Uh, I do believe a car had started to pull up so he jumps through the coffee stand window into the little coffee stand with samantha Mm -hmm. oh my god so he jumps in there he ties samantha's hands with zip ties and he he had her sit in the floor and you can't hear anything on the surveillance video you can just see what they're doing like he had made her turn the lights out in the coffee stand oh um it was dark. You could kind of still see yeah. what was going on in there. But he had forced her to sit in the floor. He zip-tied her hands. He asked her where her car was. And she told him, you know, I don't have a vehicle. She, Her boyfriend would drop her off to mm. work. You can see in the video that he gets her up. He, like, puts his arm around her. And he walks her down the street to where he left his car. Of course, you know, he's got his arm around her. People aren't... Right, they're not... And she's probably just complying, so, you know. So, he doesn't kill her because she knows he has a gun. But, once they get so far down the street, she does try to make a break for it. And she tries to run. He chased her. He tackled her down to the ground Mm -hmm. because, you know, again, he's super in shape. Right. He put his arm back around her and then he, you know, pointed the gun at her and walked her on to the car. He told her that she needed to cooperate. And the gun had very quiet ammunition in it. So that, like, if he were to shoot her, people probably wouldn't hear it. He warned her, you know, don't make me do anything to have to kill you. They went over to his car, got in there. He had already prepared his truck for an abduction. He took the toolboxes off the truck bed and he removed the license plates. He then put her into the truck, and then drove away. He drove around town with her in the truck, and he told her, you know, I'm just kidnapping you for a ransom. That was his plan, supposedly. He was just going to kidnap her and get a ransom. Right, and then let her go. Yeah. And she told him, you know, my my family doesn't have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Her, Her father was a single dad. And it was just those two, and her boyfriend lived with them, and they didn't have a lot of money. Yeah. And she told him, you know, you're probably not going to get a lot of money, you know, 
out of this. He already knew that with her missing, they would most likely try to raise money in order to pay for the ransom. He told her that if she were to cooperate with him, mm -hmm. that she would be given back to her family and no harm would come to her. But I mean, well, he did have a ski mask on. I was about to say, she's probably seen his face. Right. But at this point, he's probably still got the mask on. Probably, because he's that fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Just riding around town with a ski mask on. Sometime uh, during the drive, he realized that her cell phone wasn't with her. I guess it had been left at the coffee back shop. at the coffee shop. His whole plan was to use her cell phone to text the ransom. Oh. So he drove back to the little coffee shop and he went back in. He left her tied up in the truck. He found her phone and I think he had also dropped some zip ties that would have his fingerprints mm. on them. So he, he grabbed those as well. He sent two text messages. The first to her, Samantha's boyfriend. And the second one was to the person who owned the Common Grounds coffee stand. Oh, they, thinking he could maybe get money well, from Well, he made it a sound like Samantha had a really bad day and that she was just leaving town for the weekend. What? Yeah. Then he took the battery out of her phone. So he doesn't even really text a ransom to anybody? He, no. He texted her boyfriend and acted like she was pissed off at him. And she was going, you know... She needed some space for a few days. And then he texted the owner of the coffee grounds right. where she worked and was like, you know, I had a really bad day. I just need, you know, I'm going to go for a long weekend so nobody would really suspect. So he just made up the whole ransom thing just to tell her. I guess. What a... F I mean, he's got this ridiculous... I mean, he's got everything already planned out. I, <sighs> then he asked her, he wanted her debit card. And she told him, you know, well, I share... I share a bank account with my boyfriend. Uh -huh. His ATM card is in his truck at my house. She told him where her house was. She gave him her address. Shut up. <laughs> and gave him the PIN number he for the ATM. He does not know. He put her into the shed at his house. And then he tied her up in there. He turned up the radio in the shed so nobody could hear her if she screamed. Mind you, he had a live-in girlfriend at this point. No. Mm -hmm. And his daughter lived with him. What? Yes. And this, this girlfriend had no idea? No idea. Shit. My God. So How can bitches be so dumb? I don't get it. When he left Samantha in the shed, he told her, I have a police scanner, and I'll know if you try to alert the neighbors. You know, like, if she were to get loose and go to a neighbor's yeah. house, and they call 911, he was like, I'll know. So don't do it. He drove over to her house. He got the ATM card out of her boyfriend's truck. While he was there, the boyfriend heard something outside. And he goes out there to see what it is. And he sees Israel in his truck. The boyfriend yelled at Israel and went back into the house to get Samantha's dad. Yeah. So Israel ran back to his truck and he left before they could get back out there to oh, him. Of course. So he, yeah. Dang it. He went to the ATM with the debit card and put in the PIN number to make sure it worked. And then he went back to his shed where she was tied up. I mean, it's, at what point do you think, 
I mean, me as a logical person, okay, sometimes logical. If I'm going to kidnap someone and try to get money from them, it's probably not going to be someone that works at a coffee shop. Like, you're not going to get that much money, dude. Like, right. you're going to all this. I don't, that just. That... I mean, and that was something that was also kind of talked about in the book I'm reading. She didn't make a lot of money. Right. He's picking these victims and it's like. Dude, like, what? How are you expecting to yeah. get a decent ransom? I mean, um, I guess he was banking on the public's help mm-hmm. of coming up with the money. You know that they would whatever he demanded, the public would help come up with right. the money. Reportedly, he sat in the shed with her tied up. He poured himself a glass of wine. He would sit there and sip on the wine, and then he would tell her exactly what he was going to do to her. I mean, could you imagine being... I mean, she was only 18 years old. I'd be like, listen, asshole, at least pour me some wine, too. (laughs) But I mean, an 18-year-old girl, and you've just been kidnapped, you're tied up in this freezing shed, and this psychopath is sitting here with a fucking glass of wine. With a girlfriend and a kid in the house. And he's sitting in here, and he is telling you everything he's about to do to you. He's sick. After that, he sexually assaulted her, and then he strangled her to death. What, did he Did he use, like, his hands to strangle her? Or I think he, so. I'm not quite sure of that detail. It seems like he has, like, he likes to be in control, too, in mm-hmm. all of these, you know. It's like, I wonder if that goes back to him being in such a strict childhood where... You know, he was controlled and not allowed to do a whole lot of things. And so... Possibly. Hmm. He... You're going to shit when you find out what he does. Oh, great. So he left her body in the shed. He he shoved her in a cabinet out in the shed and left her. He goes into the house and it's already morning time at this point. He gets his daughter up and gets her ready for school. And then he (laughs) calls a cab... And he leaves for New Orleans for a pre-planned cruise with his family. Shut up. (laughs) And just leaves the body there. Left the body there. What the fuck? Yeah. He had already planned out this cruise ahead of time out of New Orleans. And after he killed her, he goes in the house with, I mean, his girlfriend's in there. His daughter's in there. He gets started ready for school. And then he calls the cab to come and take him to the airport. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't let anything stop my vacation either, so. (laughs) Especially after this pandemic (laughs) and we've been stuck in the house forever. Heard that. So, once he got back from the cruise. Now, did the girlfriend go on the cruise, too? No. Oh, okay. I think it was some of his and he thought family members. i'm just gonna leave this body in my shed at home and my girlfriend she's not gonna go out there. i guess she she must not that must oh have God. been a place where she probably didn't go very i'm too often. fucking nosy for that shit <laughs> to ever fly you know i want to know everything that's going on <laughs> and i mean if he was out in the shed all night i'd be out there she was in bed i guess you know banging like yeah. why aren't you what are you doing yeah. why aren't you in here in bed well, obviously, she he's traveling and doing all this crazy shit, so he was probably in control of her, too. Who knows, possible. you know? So, when the cruise was finished and, you know, it came back to New Orleans, he rented a car and drove to Aledo, Texas, and he burglarized and burned down a house. Were there people in it? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Then, 
He drove to another town in Texas called Azle. Never heard of it. And he robbed the National Bank of Texas. What? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not like a small town, like little mom and pop bank, right? I, I mean, I'm assuming they I don't probably really know, like a but larger one, you know? I would think if it's the National right, Bank of yeah. Texas. So he robs this bank, which maybe it was a small branch, because this is that town of Azle or whatever. Yeah, I've never heard of true. it. that's true. It could have been. After that, he drove to Houston, and then he flew back home to Anchorage. Like nothing ever happened. Yeah. So that was February 17th when he finally came back home. Mm-hmm. So on February the 19th, he, you know, took his daughter to school, dropped her off, and then he came back home and he pulled Samantha's body out of the cabinet and had sex with her frozen corpse. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. That was a new detail I learned yesterday. I was like, what the fuck? I mean, she had already been, I mean, she was, she'd been dead for like two weeks at this point. I'm just like, how's that even possible? Like, I mean, with rigor mortis had already come and gone at that point. But I mean, she was, I mean, her body was still frozen. frozen. So it wasn't like she was like turning to mush or Mm, anything. mm -mm. So, oh my God, that. And I know that her body hadn't started to really decompose. She had to have been frozen at this point. Because he started to prepare a ransom note at this point and demanding money. And he wanted it to be placed into her account. He went out, he retrieved her body again once he got done, you know, with the ransom note and everything. He goes out to the shed, he pulls her body out, he puts makeup on her face to make her appear alive. What? Yes. And then, he sewed her eyes open with fishing line. What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. He took a Polaroid picture of her tied up so it would look like she was still alive. And he... And here she's been dead for like a week. Two, two weeks. weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. And he took... Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. I told you. He was a fucking psychopath. He took a newspaper from February the 13th and put it in the picture with her so that it would look like, you know... Right. At that point, it was four days old. I mean, if I was... Why wouldn't you use that days? Yeah. To make... I mean, I mean after four days, I would I be like, is she really still alive? Because right. that's from that's four days four ago. four days ago, Yeah. That's another so, stupid, like, that was stupid yeah. he did that. But. So he photocopied the Polaroid, and then he used a typewriter to type out the ransom note for $30,000. He put it on the back of the picture. I think he put it in, like, a little baggie. Mm-hmm. Then he goes over to a place called Connor's Bog Park, and he put the little baggie with the ransom note and the photocopy of the picture under a flyer for a dog named Albert. And then he took her cell phone and texted her boyfriend. And he he texted some message and was like, ain't she pretty or something like that with the picture of Samantha. (gasps) No way. Yeah. And he told them that the ransom note was under Albert, which was the dog flyer, in Connor's bog park. So the Anchorage Police Department went and recovered this ransom note. Uh After... He placed that. He, a few days later, dismembered Samantha's body. So he still kept her in the shed for a few more days? Yeah. He dismembered her and then went out to Matanuska Lake and cut a hole in the ice and then put the body parts in the lake. Under the ice. Mm-hmm. It's like, on one hand, he's like a genius, and then on the other, he's like a total fucking dipshit. Yeah. At this point, Samantha's dad 
I mean, the whole time she was gone, he had a feeling, you know, it wasn't right. She didn't just go off on her own. Right. He was like, that's not her. Mm-hmm. And he knew something was up. But, you know, given the text messages and stuff, the cops were just Well, they couldn't track her phone because yeah. he took the fucking battery out. He took out. the battery out. Once he received the, the ransom, he, you know, puts out a plea to the public to get the ransom money. Mm-hmm. And he starts whatever money he has at this time he's putting in to Samantha's account. The plan from the police department at this point was, you know, when he started withdrawing from the ATMs, right. they would be able to catch him. In March of that year. So, all this took place in February. Right. In March, he flies down to Las Vegas. And then, he rents a car. And he drives to Wilcox, Arizona. And that is where he goes and uses Samantha's debit card at an ATM and withdraws $400. He flew all the way to Arizona. I mean, yeah. Vegas. And then drove there and then only took out $400. Because once he was done at that ATM, he drives over to New Mexico. And he withdraws more money. Because I guess he drove so far... So close to the state line right, in Arizona, yeah. New Mexico. So he just stopped there. Then he pops on over to New right. Mexico. And then he pulls out more money. He also wore a disguise every time that he went and made these transactions. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, when he was on the video, the video or whatever, right. they wouldn't be able to tell who he was. Although, one of the ATMs actually got a photograph of his rental car. In the picture, and it was a white Ford Focus. The license plate wasn't pictured in the picture. They weren't able to get a picture oh. of that. But they knew that it was, they knew the make and model. Right, okay. Funnily enough, he actually had some mechanical problems with this rental car. When he turned it in to get switched out for another one, they gave him another white Ford Focus. What? <laughs> what are the odds? I know. Oh my god. That is So crazy. it's very fortunate, I guess, that they didn't get the license plate because they would have been chasing the wrong car. Right. So two that days <laughs> Two days after he was in New Mexico, he withdrew money from an ATM in Humble City, Texas. Okay. And the Is this out of her account again? Yeah. Okay. And the FBI alerted Texas law enforcement, you know, to look out for this white Ford focus. Several days later, Texas Highway Patrol Corporal, his name is Brian Henry, he sees this white Ford Focus that's parked at a motel in this town called Lufkin. And they kind of sat and he watched the car for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And the Texas Rangers were also helping out with Mm. this case down there. And uh, what I was reading in American Predator, I guess they... They weren't sure, like, they they were sitting there at the motel, they saw the car in the room it was parked in front of, but right. they weren't sure if it was that room or the one directly above it, where the occupant of this car was staying. hmm So, they sat and watched it, and a guy comes out, and he gets into the car, and they start to follow him, and, you know, the police are telling this Brian guy, find a reason to pull him over. Find a reason. Right. And he's following this guy, like, trying to figure, you know, because the guy was going the speed limit. You know, he wasn't breaking any laws. And eventually, he stopped at a lot. And when he took off, he was three miles an hour over the speed limit. So, oh. that... So, then he was able to have that a reason. That was his way to pull him over. Okay. So, they pulled him over as an excuse. 
Israel gave him his driver's license and Henry called for backup because the license was from Alaska. And he had asked, the, he had asked Israel, you know, why are you in town? Mm-hmm. And he told him, I'm in town for my sister's wedding, which was actually true. I had to look that up because I was like, oh. oh, I remember I read about this in the book. And that's, this is about as far as I got in the book oh, as okay. when he was pulled so over. So that was true. He had gone, I think, a day or two before his sister's mm. wedding. And he had showed up to this wedding. And apparently one of the church elders knew he was an atheist and started going off on him. And then Israel causes this big scene and railing against God at his yeah. sister's wedding. Because I get, is his sister, she's still Mormon, right? Or did, no, the whole family the whole, denounced that. Yeah, oh, okay. they, they are part of that. I think they may have left that Ark Church and were part of a different one. Oh, now. okay. Some other Christian identity. But either church. way, some other super religious thing. Yeah. So he caused a big scene there. And then, you know, a couple of days later, he's now pulled over and they saw his license and they're like, okay, this, this guy's from Alaska. Mm-hmm. And now they need a reason to search the car. He's seen a pair of white shoes in the car under the seat, which would match. Shoes that Israel like had that had been worn in you know some of those videos. Oh, okay. They had of him. They were trying to find a reason to search the car. When Brian looked at the license and he seen you know that this person was from Alaska, and that the person wanted for you know the questioning of mm-hmm. Samantha was from Alaska. He also looked at this driver's license picture. And he thought, you know, this guy kind of looks like the pictures of the ATM, mm-hmm. but, you know, with a disguise. Right. So, at this point, he felt that that was enough probable cause to hold him, to hold Israel, and search the car. Yeah. So, when they searched the car, the cops found a dye-stained roll of bills from a bank robbery. Because, you know, they put those dye packs right. in there. The mask that Israel wore... When he was withdrawing the money from the ATMs, mm. they found a gun, and they also found Samantha's debit card. Bingo! Hmm. Ding, ding, ding. So, they arrested him, and a few days later, they extradited him back to Alaska. At first, he he refused to talk to, to the investigators. He wouldn't give them anything. And he admitted that... He abducted Samantha. He finally admitted that on March 31st. Mm -hmm. And he told them where he put her body. So, the following day, April 1st, they actually went out to the lake and they found her body. Oh. So, that was the first one he admitted to was that one. Mm -hmm. He he promised the cops. You know, he's like, I'll tell you more, but I don't want any of this getting out to the press. He didn't want anything to be released. Really? To the press. That's odd. He didn't want his daughter to read about what he'd done. Hmm. And I actually, there's like this six hour long FBI interview that's on YouTube and I have have only watched like an hour of it. Six hours? It's from, I guess, separate interviews. Oh. I think, possibly. But several of his interviews have been released and and this is why earlier I said, you know, he was just like playing a cat and mouse game with them. He was just, oh my God. He didn't want his daughter to find out what he'd done to Samantha. And he didn't, he had, you know, friends and neighbors and clients with his construction business. Like, he didn't want all of these people finding out. Right. Who he really was. The real Israel keys. Mm-hmm. 
he got pissed off at one of his court hearings. I guess some stuff did get leaked out. Mm-hmm. And he, he got mad. Oh, boo fucking hoot. <laughs> <I know. laughs> so the federal prosecutor started asking, well, once they found out she was dead, the, he, he told them, you know, I'll give you the details. I'll tell you everything you want to know. I'll give it to you blow by blow mm-hmm. if you want. He said, I have lots more stories to tell. They kind of started figuring out at this point that, oh, shit, he's probably a serial killer. Right. I mean, he's telling us, I got a lot mm-hmm. of stories. Before he would give them those stories, he had other demands. He wanted a speedy trial, and he wanted the death penalty. Really? Mm-hmm. And he wanted that death penalty to be carried out within a year. He didn't want to sit on death row for 20 years, 20 years. waiting to die. Mm-hmm. He also wanted to keep his crimes a secret from the media, of course. And he told the investigators if they didn't meet these demands, that he wouldn't give them the information they wanted. Again, trying to just be in control, basically. Yeah. I think that's probably why there's so much unknown when it comes to how many people he actually murdered. Because some stuff went down, he found out. Some stuff got leaked to the media, and he got pissed, and he stopped talking. Yeah. He agreed to tell, you know, the investigators everything about what he did to Samantha, where to find her body. They went and found the body. The investigators actually searched Israel's computer, and they found information on that computer about a missing Vermont couple. Oh. So, when they confronted Israel about, you know, the, the couriers... And they asked him, well, what do you know about this? He smiled at them. And he told them that they were lucky because he had planned on throwing that computer into a landfill when he got back from Texas. He told them he would only talk about Vermont if they scheduled his execution date. And that date would be within a year. This is, he's, none of what he's doing, like, it just, nothing adds up. Like, just crazy as hell. So then he eventually tells them about the bodies of Bill and Lorraine and why he decided to murder them. And he said, I didn't know the couriers. It was just random. Mm, Just so callous. Mm -hmm. Because the prosecutors, you know, they wanted to know, how do you even know these people in Vermont? They're probably thinking that he had a connection to them or something. They're like, how do you even know them and why would you murder them? And he, he... Got annoyed and said, you know, that's a stupid question. I didn't know him. It was just random. At this point, they're probably like, wow, this guy is a piece of work. (sighs) He had, you know, hinted to the investigators of other crimes that he committed. He he told them that he had robbed a bank in New York and that he had, you know, burglarized somewhere upwards of 20 to 30 houses and had raped. And there were several people he'd killed. But he wouldn't really give them any details. No details. He, and that's why, you know, I say he was just playing a cat and mouse yeah. game with them. He was just toying with them. Mm-hmm. And I, I've gone back and forth on thinking, did he do a lot of this stuff? Right, because you don't know. It's hard to say. Or is he just screwing around yeah. with them? But then, on the other hand, he's fucking crazy. Yes. And he's totally capable of yeah. doing all of this. And he probably did. Probably. And he probably wanted that, well, they're only going to know what I tell them. And just that feeling of, like, being, you know, still holding some cards and being yes. in control and, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. 
It probably made that, him stroked oh, his ego. And, and in that sense, he was like Ted Bundy as well. Yeah. Because Ted, you know, in his interviews and stuff, he he had he always had to be in control. Mm-hmm. He told them about the rape of the girl in Oregon. And he says she was probably somewhere between 14 and 18 years old when he raped her. According to police records, that was never reported. The crime really? was never reported, which, I mean, a huge number of rapes go right, unreported. Yes. So that's not really a surprise for me. He told investigators that he committed his first murder sometime between July and October of 2001. Right after being discharged from the Army. Mm. But he didn't tell them who the person was, where he left the body. He gave them nothing. And between 2001 and 2005, he said that he murdered a couple in Washington State. But again, he didn't give them any information on this couple, except that they were buried near a valley. I wonder if anyone has done went back and done any research to see if there were any couples that were I'm sure missing. I'm they probably have. You know? Because he... He had also admitted to abducting and murdering a woman in, I think it was New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And he gave the date. I think it was like April 9th. I don't remember the year. But there is a woman in that area that where he said he abducted. There yeah. is a woman who has gone missing. She was last seen the day before. He said he abducted somebody. Well, he's probably telling the truth about all this shit. Then. Yeah, and of course, they've never found her body. He had mentioned burying her in a, or he had put her in a, a lake or something like that. I'll have to look her back up because I had a hard time finding information on her. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so they never found her either. So between 2005 and 2006, he supposedly committed two separate murders and disposed of at least one of the bodies in Crescent Lake in Washington. Mm. And then in April of 2009, he said that he abducted and killed a female uh, from the East Coast. And that, so this is the one that he supposedly, I guess, abducted from New Jersey. Oh, that's the lady you were talking about. Transported her over multiple state lines and buried her body in upstate New York. On that same trip, he robbed a community bank in New York. And then in April and May of 2011, he admitted that he staked out two spots near Anchorage and considered killing people, but he changed his mind. And oh, well, in, I just don't feel like killing anyone today. Yeah. Uh, you know, I kind of wanted to kill somebody today, but uh, I'm not really feeling it's it It's not now. my day today. <laughs> they believe that... He has murdered at least 11, but mm -hmm. it's possible there's Possibly more. Possibly more. I mean, because there was an article that showed, like, all of his travels. Right. In between all these years. And, I mean, he was... He traveled a lot. Right. Well, and without DNA, it would be impossible, mm -hmm. you know, to link him and to he was all very, of these. I think he was very meticulous about not leaving any yeah. evidence behind that would link him right. to anything. Israel said that only two of his victims' bodies had been recovered. One was Samantha's, and the other was a body of a victim that he staged to make it appear that she died from an accident. He claimed that when the authorities recovered her body, they did indeed rule her death accidental. So I'm guessing he probably... Hell, he probably didn't even know her name, but 
I don't know if they ever even figured out who this who one was. was. Because he's only known to have killed the Couriers and Samantha. Right. Those are his three known victims. So Confirmed. I'm guessing they don't even know who this other person was. Because it's quite possible he didn't give them any information other than that. Like, yeah, yeah I made it look like an accident and they ruled it an accident. And that's probably all they know. Yeah. They probably don't know what state or anything. So on May 23rd of that year, he appeared... Uh, in front of the district judge in federal court to set a trial date. And Samantha's family and her friends were there. And partway through the hearing, Israel breaks free and tries to escape. What? Yeah. He really does he, love Bundy. He was in leg <laughs> shackles. Oh, my God. And he jumped over the railing into the seats in the gallery. And I he... He started to, like, try to attack people in the audience. And they speculate that that was probably a suicide attempt, in a sense. You oh. know, that if he tried this escape and he tried to harm Maybe somebody they would in the shoot him. they would shoot him. Yeah. So, spectators were screaming, you know, get him and kill him. And the deputies tackled him and they had to use a taser on him to subdue him. Mm -hmm. Somehow, he had removed the chain from one of his ankle what? cuffs. They don't know how he did it. How the fuck? Because I was like, he was in leg shackles when he did this, but somehow he got one of the, he got the chain removed and was able to run. When he was, you know, back in custody, in Israel, you know, after he had told them about the murders of the couriers mm -hmm. in Vermont, FBI agents had asked officials in Vermont, you know, not to release Israel's name to the public, explaining that he had agreed to talk about all of his other victims. As long as his name was kept out of the press. Yeah. So they were trying to hold to that. And in July, Vermont investigators announced to everybody that the murderer of the couriers was arrested and was in prison in another state after being charged in that state. They explained, you know, we can't give out any more details at the time. But as soon as the press conference ended... WCAX-TV in Burlington, Vermont, released a story reporting that anonymous sources had identified Israel Keys as the courier's oh. killer. So it was Vermont that started the, that leaked it. Yep. And he was pissed. Israel was pissed when he found out. And now, part of the interview that I had watched was the conversation, you know, kind of, about that. Right. That, you know, he, where he was angry. He felt betrayed. And he stopped talking to the cops. He stopped talking to the FBI. <clears throat> he stopped talking to Anchorage detectives. He, you know, was like, if I start, if I start admitting to stuff I've done in all these other states, you know, every jurisdiction is going to want to try him yeah. separately. And this is going to drag out for years. And he's not going to get his death penalty within a year. Mm. He wanted to just stand up in front of a judge to say he was guilty. And just die. Of the abduction and murder of Samantha. And get a death sentence that would be carried out a few months later. That was what he wanted. But after all this crap that happened in Vermont, he was like, okay, this is... It's just, it's out of control. He was like, I, I just, I don't see any reason why I should talk about my other crimes now. So that was it. Mm-hmm. He emphasized that 
he didn't really feel a moral obligation to the families of his victims to explain what had happened to their loved ones. Well, I mean, he's a piece of shit, so, (laughs) you know. I'm like, to not give these families peace. That's really, really low. I mean, he really had no conscience, Mm -hmm. I don't think, at all. I mean... Maybe, other than he didn't want to kill a kid. Yeah. Uh, right? That was it. He ha- other than, you know, <clears throat> the conscience he had when it came to his daughter. Mm-hmm. Not even his girlfriend. Just his daughter. Yeah. Other than that, he, he really had no conscience. He he said he felt no, you know, he, there was no remorse for his crimes. Mm-hmm. He didn't care. The um, investigators who had, you know, interviewed Israel and talked to him, they were like, he was very arrogant. And at times he acted bored when he was telling them, you know, what it, his crimes, like his details. Like like us recounting our day of, oh, I just watched Netflix and chilled and that's yeah. pretty much it. Yeah. He would get excited when he would talk about abduction or murder. He would describe every detail. Of the murder. Like, mm. that's what excited him. Right. He liked the The, the arson, it. the bank robbing, mm-hmm. the burglarizing of the homes. That was boring. He wanted to talk about That the was really just a nasty. means to fuel his, or to fund and, you know, yeah. these. His, his travels his, yeah. in order to kill, to satisfy mm-hmm. that need. And later on in November, he met, you know, with the investigators again. He... Seemed a little distracted in that interview, and I actually noticed in the one I was watching, he, there was a comment he made about, I can't remember exactly what he said, but when, when you hear it, I'm like, yeah, he was planning on not living very long. I don't remember exactly what was said, but I was like, "Mm." he, you can, in that, what he said He's not planning on Don't living very Don't tell me he takes the coward's way out. Oh, yeah. Oh, fucking piece of shit. So, he told investigators that, you know, I he may be willing to talk about everything next week. Two days later, at almost 6 o'clock in the morning, security, or one of the corrections officers was coming around and doing a security check in the jail. And in cell three, which was Israel's cell, he noticed like this red stain on the floor and he was like oh that's blood and so he starts calling out to Israel and of course Israel doesn't respond they get in there and they find him face down covered in blood he had slit open even his suicide was meticulous I mean that's how fucked up this guy is He slit his left wrist along the vein. He was not supposed to have razor blades or anything that could be used as a weapon. I would say, how the hell did he And he was mistakenly given a razor. Mistakenly? Or maybe somebody was like, here, dude, why don't you just fucking (laughs) off yourself? Even though I hate that, I think that's just so fucking like... I know. I feel like these types of people, just put them in a padded cell. Mm-hmm. They can't do any harm to themselves. You know, we go back and forth because, about the death penalty all the time. But I, I hate it when they fucking commit suicide. And that's what I'm saying. Put them in a padded cell so they can't. Right. And that's, again, Let just them him. stand trial for what they did. That's just him wanting to be in control mm-hmm. of his mm-hmm. own death. Because he couldn't let anybody else do it. Yep. He's a controlling piece of shit. Yep. Exactly. 
So he had slit his left wrist in order to make sure that he successfully died. He would he laid down on his stomach on his bed. Mm-hmm. He tied a bed sheet noose around his neck and then he bent his left leg back towards his butt and tied the other end of the sheet around his ankle. So when oh he lost consciousness passed out from the loss blood of blood, loss, his leg would go down and it would choke, choke him. him. Yeah. God, who thinks of this shit? And on top of that, in order to keep the guards from noticing the blood, he had two milk containers and two cups that he collected his blood in until he passed out. What the hell? I told you, the dude's crazy. Oh my God. So his suicide was so successful that the medical examiner, they, he, they couldn't determine if he died from blood loss or strangulation. Or strangulation? They had no idea. Wow. So they, you know, they still don't know how he got a hold of a razor blade somehow. He was in segregation, so I don't know how he got it. Yeah. And like you said, somebody probably slipped to him like, My here, mate. asshole, go ahead and knock yourself. Which is the wrong thing to do. I know. That drives me up the So, wall. you know, the investigators were just, they were like, well, fuck. When they found out, you know, he well, killed himself. Was fucked. Then, yeah, it's like, sh- now, they would never know about all right. these other crimes. They're never going to know about all these other victims. They have no idea. One thing, he left a four-page suicide note. under It, it was under his body, and it was so saturated with his blood. Like, it, it's really unreadable. Right. The FBI restored a lot of it, but it didn't even really make sense. It was just a bunch of ramblings. They, you know, decided that they're... After they studied it, you know, it was all the rambling, but there was really no code or no hidden message with it. It was just a probably bunch just of a bullshit. Bullshit them again, you know? Exactly. Throw them off the trail I mean, or whatever. Because it didn't offer any clues to any victims or anything. It had yeah. nothing. And he had also drawn in his blood like 11 skulls on different pieces of paper that he left in his cell. And I've watched some stuff like um some interviews that they've done with the authorities and Uh they actually like pulled him out and that's why they think there's 11 11. victims Mm. because he had all of those he didn't like being called a serial killer but i'm like dude that's what you were that's what he was he knew that that's what he was but he didn't like it when people called him that Mm. he said that you know he admired ted bundy but he didn't copy him his ideas were his own. Like, he wanted that to be known. Oh. Sounds like he wanted to be a modern-day, more prolific Ted Bundy. There was a national expert on serial killers who stated that Israel was one of the most organized and intelligent serial killers he'd ever studied. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. Just he, he got an adrenaline rush from his murders. Like, that's why he wanted to do it. He got mm-hmm. a rush out of it. And I think part of why he got caught was he increased the risk he took. By doing it in his own mm-hmm. town, yep. Didn't follow his own rules. Therefore, increasing that risk caused him to be a little more careless and yep. to screw up and get caught. Well, thank goodness, or who knows where. Right. What would have happened. Exactly. 
he admitted to investigators, you know, when he saw Samantha in that little coffee stand, he couldn't help himself. He said that he didn't have the control to walk away from her. Hmm. And really for him, killing was an addiction and he couldn't control it. Right. So we're not really drinking tonight. No, sadly. I see how people end up with murder after not having any alcohol for a week. <laughs> I feel like I could snap a bitch's neck. So you, you're not allowed to drink, like, for a week up to it? Well, and then how long after? Okay, don't. it's technically supposed to be two weeks before and then two weeks after. But I had, you know, a little drink, like, a week ago. I think so. a little one that, that far away. Yeah, that's fine. I can't go two weeks without wine. Yeah. So, well, and now I'm going to have to go another two. But I'll just be high on pain meds, so it's fine. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I'm having surgery tomorrow. So, that's why there's no alcohol. <laughs> yeah. So, and I wasn't going to drink without her. So, so this we is just have our free. I just have my soda, and that's it tonight. I'm drinking a Kivita sparkling probiotic drink, lemon cayenne. They're very good. Oh. I love them. So, but they're kind of expensive, so I don't buy them often. Yeah. But they're really good. Yeah. So, yeah. That's all we, uh, doing tonight. We're not, uh, wild and crazy. No. We're going to, if you're listening now, our next podcast will be taped right away. Yes. So, um, because she's going to be out of commission for a little bit. Yep. So, who are we going to talk about in our next episode? Wesley Allen Dodd, the Ooh. Vancouver child killer. Ooh, I can't wait to hear about this one. Yeah, it's, Aww. um, he's, he's I, I actually else. don't know anything about him, oh, so. okay, well. That'll be an exciting thing to hear. This is going to just make you, like, claw your eyeballs out, not only because he is, like, the lowest of the fucking low, but because all of this could have been averted, so. Ugh. Well, I can't wait to hear about it, and uh, we're going to end this episode here, and you guys have a good evening, and tune in next week for another episode. See you then.